Hello and welcome to episode one of the Autobot, Auto, Autobot podcast. Oh, I'm already stumbling over my words here. Um, my name is Justin Vibber. I'm joined tonight by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. How you doing, fellas? Hey, Justin. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the inaugural first of hundreds, right? This is... This isn't going to die in a, a, a quick death. It's going to be... Six seasons uh, in a movie, Justin. Six seasons right, in a movie. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'm here for a historic moment. Yeah, it feels good. It feels momentous. That's right. Um, you know, and obviously, it's we've we've been a little lacking in having any sort of podcast content. It's, there, we've had a couple different variations, but I figured I, I might as well get something uh, off the ground here. So... Uh, we've got a couple topics in mind that we were going to discuss tonight, but the first thing I wanted to talk about, um, since we've got Niv with us tonight, is just sort of uh, asking you, Niv, uh, what what sort of new and exciting things uh, are, are going on with Autonew this year in 2020, um, and what other things might be on the horizon that you wanted to, to, to discuss. So the floor is yours here for, for the very beginning of this. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for doing this thing and um, spending your time talking about Auto New. I know you're a huge fan and, and really quite bright in the game. I really appreciate all you've done for the community and um, and promoting the game and, and thinking about how to make the game better and more interesting. Um, yeah, so it's 2020. Uh, we've been doing this for... Whew, 10, uh, nine years now. I think this is going to be our 10th season. Um, we, I think we've come a long way. The site is in a much better shape than it used to be. Um, and this year, you know, we, we were starting to implement some stuff that, um, we're forward looking now. I think we're a forward looking platform that, um, considers like where really analytical, deep fantasy baseball, uh, should be headed. Um, you know, like one of the things I've thought about a lot this off season, uh, is how we often lose users and players. We lose team owners <laughs> to major league baseball teams. And it's, it's one of the best things about auto new, right? Every, like, uh, I think all three of us have been in leagues where we've lost players or obviously I know about these guys directly, but Chad and Justin, you guys have both been in leagues with guys who have had to leave for major league front offices. And I've done a lot of thinking about um, what it looks like to work in a front office and what it, what kind of experience auto new can bring that can really sort of scratch that itch of being really analytical about baseball players, really um, um, complete about your overall thinking of a baseball player and of, of baseball production. And I think auto new does that um, from a gameplay standpoint, better than most games due to the scoring systems, the salary caps, um, the trading, the way the trading works. Um, and, and of course the competition and the players that play auto new tend to be very serious players. So all that really feeds um, a serious baseball, like a major league baseball, like game, and so this year, obviously, we've rolled out a couple new features, and we're going to roll out some new stuff before opening day. Um, the newest, the biggest feature that's already rolled out are the new player notes uh, that allow you to leave notes um, on the site in platform for any player um, on anyone's team or a free agent. 
so you can keep track of how you want to use uh, platoons, how you want to construct your pitching staff, what kind of players you're targeting, um, how much you value a player at. You can keep that all on the site. And that aligns a lot with um, conversations I've had with Major League Baseball front offices about what their biggest problems are. Most of their problems are circulated around um, communication and about um, keeping track of like a completest vision of what a baseball player is and what they could be. And so I think notes are actually a big step towards that in terms of allowing um, players on the platform to be able to um, really keep their insights on the site, keep their thoughts about a player on the site and keep their evaluations on the site so that when a player goes up for auction or a player becomes available on the trade block, they immediately have an idea of what they should be doing to acquire that player or if they don't want to acquire that player or however they think about them. Um, the other big thing is obviously uh, more of a gameplay change. Uh, it's the auto-eject or the auto-benching of a player that is is not starting. Um, it's an option that you're going to have on lineup pages this year. So the way that's going to work is that uh, if it's enabled, any player that isn't starting their Major League Baseball game that day will automatically be moved to the bench just for that day right at lock time, so about five minutes before their game starts. This is mostly so that uh, people can manage their lineups and aren't beholden to only being able to win auto new by really being uh, attentive and um, a borderline uh, psychopathic, basically managing lineups. Right. Um, Justin, I think you uh, did the best job of convincing me of it. Cause you showed me every alarm you had on your phone for setting a lineup. <laughs> um, remind me like you had, Something like a half, like a half, how many did you have? Like a half dozen, a dozen? Oh, it was at least because, I mean, the, the issue in the past was, you know, I want to post an initial lineup, obviously, before any of the games kick off. Um, but then sort of at every batch of games that start during the day, like maybe an hour beforehand, which gives me enough time to make sure that lineups are posted, I have an alarm that to remind me to go in and make sure that anybody that I had earmarked to be in my lineup that day was not out of the lineup in their in their actual major league game and right because it's so important to not lose one piece of your your games cap or or, you know right because that's a currency in the game right it's it's it's, you have uh, 162 games per lineup position right that's a great way of saying it and it's a currency it's a great way and you don't and you want to you don't want to spend that on a one plate appearance pinch hitting game Right. Um, unless, I mean, like, unless you're up against it, right? Like in most situations, well, sure. you don't want to do that. Right? Yeah. And, and if you're way behind on, on pacing for your games cap, especially it's at a position like outfield, um, maybe you don't care. You just want to get any, as many plate appearances as you need, because you know, you're going to fall short of the cap anyway. Um, and that's why the, the fact right. that this auto eject is an option is, is really key too, because there are a right. lot of, it allows you to, yeah, there's a lot of circumstances where you you don't want to have an, a player auto eject. You want to have the option to say, nope, I want to keep them in there even if they're not going to be in the lineup that day. Right. So I think there's two things that are really interesting, and that's a great explanation about the logic behind it. The two things to me that are very interesting about it are that, one, um, we're talking about features that are pretty uh, forward-looking and unique. I don't think other platforms offer this kind of thing, and I think it speaks to the fact that the competition on this platform, it's very high and the players are very serious. 
that you start thinking about these sort of next level problems, right? And I think that's like, um, I think that's like one is that we're showing that like there's innovation to be had here on AutoNew beyond uh, like in within the gameplay itself, not not simply like the meta game of trading and salaries, but within the day to day setting lineups, like allowing you to preserve the currency as you put it of of a game's played. Um, and I think the other thing, you know, is tied into that really deeply is that this is, we're starting to get into some really like, uh, in the weeds stuff in terms of like, um, what our, what our players are looking for, what, um, the site needs in order to really, um, you know, help, help out the seriousness of the players that are playing on it. And um, I think that that really speaks to the competition and to the quality of player that plays on Auto New. And I'm really happy. That's that's the thing that makes me the happiest right now about the state of Auto New or like where we are is that um, I'm able to focus on problems that are for other sites and other kinds of platforms like a little bit um, niche or esoteric or, you know, like really specific problems. And for Auto New, these aren't specific problems. These are problems that almost everyone who is competitive on the platform uh, runs into. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think that's really speaks to the competition and the quality of player that's playing auto new these days. Um, yeah. So those are the two big things right now. And um, you know, we have some other stuff in the works uh, and I definitely have some stuff for 2021 that I'm really excited about, but maybe I will just hold on to that for right. Sure. This second. Okay. Um, the one one comment I wanted to make about these these two specific changes the the, the notes feature and the auto eject is, you know, they're I, I I think they they serve a really great dual purpose where the power users the auto new veterans are really going to get a lot of value over you know the ability to to set the auto eject and to have whatever sort of note system they want to have at the player and and team level because you can make notes attached to a team in your league as well. I mean, I know for me personally, if I'm in enough leagues, unless it's a, a, a team name that I recognize right away or I click through and I see exactly which owner I'm dealing with, I sometimes forget which owner in which league with what team name I'm dealing with. So sometimes it's nice to have a team note as well to say, okay, this is this is what this guy is normally looking for. This is the situation that he might be in this year so that I don't have to constantly look back um, at another reference to, to get some of that information. But so I think the nice thing is, is that these features really help the power users, but I also think that it also makes the game more accessible for, for the new players as well, that they have some additional features to help right. them sort of with the bookkeeping aspect of, of auto new, because that's the part that's not fun, but at the same time, the ability right. to make a note on a player. And, and I was seeing somebody on the Slack community had posted that they were doing it with some of the prospects in their league. And they were actually putting like the fan scouting grades in a player note so that they could quickly have that reference for the top 30 or 40 prospects awesome. or whatever. And, and you really, know, and that's the other yeah. thing is you have the flexibility to use that, that note section, however you want, it's open-ended. Um, so there's some creative right. ideas about that. I wanted to ask Chad, um, cause he's been so quiet so far. Have, have, have you used that feature at all yet, Chad, in your leagues? Have you used the player notes or team notes? You know, I haven't yet. Um, I've been, uh, very focused on prepping for auctions and most of the notes I take for that. I, t I, I'm not, I'm not usually looking at the player pages when I'm, 
doing the auction. And so that isn't where my auction notes have gone. Um, but it's something that as I'm, I started to play around with the, uh, that, that standings projection tool that you, you put out there the other day, Justin. Um, and as I was going through that, I was like, oh, wow, this team's really deep here and I could use that, or this seems really light here and I've got some, some depth I could send them. Um, and I intend to go in and make those notes on those teams. So I think that's exactly right. I think for me, um, it's, it's going to be those team notes that are really going to make a difference and having a good record of, you know, what does this team need? Why do they need it? What did I see before? What made me make this ask of them? Um, I, I lose track of that so easily. And, you know, teams change their trade blocks and things like that. And I, I suddenly lose my history of, wait, what were they looking for? Yeah. What were they trying to sell? Uh, and I, I want to have a way to track that. Uh, that's almost more valuable to me than the player notes, I think. I wonder, Chad, if you think that the player notes will be more useful in season as you get into, because uh, obviously adding players in the auction, you have a little bit more definition around what that player pool looks like. It gets really wild westy, uh, you know, in May, June, July. I wonder if you think uh, you'll have more fun with the player notes or you'll find more value in it uh, at that time of the season. I think that's probably true. I also think I'm. Uh, it, it's a transition, right? It's a change from what I've been doing. Yeah, that's so, a fair point. For example, I I use a Google Sheet for my rosters in the off season, just to track what I'm thinking and and where I want to spend money and stuff like that. Uh, and one of the sheets I have in there is a sheet I call targets, and I list players in there that I read an article that somebody supported, whatever. There was some number I saw that made me think, oh, this is a guy I want to keep an eye on. So, for example, I think it was uh, actually I think it was one of the guys from Pitchers List who wrote a um, wrote a story about guys who are in the top twenty five percent by WIFs, CSW, and Command Plus. It was either them or some, or, or maybe Eno Saris over at the Athletic. Uh, but I listed those guys on the spreadsheet along with a bunch of other players. It's so like Matt Boyd was one of the names that came up there. So I've got a note in here, and during auctions, I pull this list up and I'm tracking like where are these guys? Are they available? Should I be targeting them? Those kind of notes, once I get used to it, I'm going to transition over to having it in the product. Uh, it'll just be easier for me to access right, in season sense. when I'm thinking about trades and free agents and stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. Um, speaking of pitcher list, <laughs> did we want to talk about uh, they, they just started a new auto new league and they live streamed all eight, nine hours. I think they, they ended up live streaming both nights of their first yeah. year auction and both nights, man. What yeah. heroes! What a what a life. Um, so I, 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 you had mentioned to to, to me uh, uh, the other day that that was all sort of organic on their part. That you didn't even know that that they were planning to to, to run this league, and it sounds like they're going to be generating content from the league as well. Yeah, I think uh, so. Totally organic, which is incredible to me, um, and one of the more exciting days I've had um, uh, running this thing. Like really one of the cooler things. Uh, PitcherList is a site that I read uh, religiously. It's a site that, you know, I'm in awe of like the way that they've chosen this like specific deep thing to dive on and then expanded it into where they've expanded it into. Super great baseball minds, really thoughtful. Seeing them say that they wanted to play auto new and not just play auto new, in a way that was like, yeah, Niv, you keep asking us to play this. We'll, we'll play it. This was uh, one day they posted a Twitter image. Of, hey, we're going to play Auto New this year, and we're going to 
write about it all year and we're going to figure out if this game is worth playing. First, I think they are going to find this game to be worth playing. And I think a few of the guys over there already have played it a bit and they really like it. But um, more importantly, like it really is a great um, vote of confidence for auto new and, and really cool to see the pitcher list finds uh, the things we're doing over here with the, with the long-term values and thinking about uh, building your team in a more holistic way to be like a compelling year round thing worth covering. So they did that on their own. They didn't reach out to me beforehand. I wish they had because I really would have uh, <laughs> liked to w- roll out the red carpet for them a little bit. But what they ended up doing was awesome. Like what, nine hours, uh, like yeah. two days, right? <laughs> two days of live streaming it. And, um, and, and as you guys know, first year drafts are time consuming, focus consuming, really a marathon and, those guys are awesome. I'm really glad that they had fun doing that. And it seems like they're going to have fun in their league this year. They have a good group and they're going to have a good time. Yeah. And they really did a great job with that stream too, because it wasn't just sharing their screen and showing what was going on in the auction. They, they had um, Daniel and, and Dave, I think are their names. Um, they, they were in front of a green screen. They had like a custom logo uh, graphic for, for their league, the auto news. Yeah, the production level. I, it, the production level was very high. The production level was great. It was something to aspire to. It was great. Because I've, I've live streamed some of my auctions, but really it's just sharing my screen so people can see, you know, what the auction looks like while you're in it. Um, but they were, and, and they were, they were both drafting while they were commenting the entire time. That's, that's the part that just blows my mind. It's, Unbelievable, it's- man. Because like there was parts of the stream where they were, they were quiet and they were focused and, I just wanted to be like, hey, everyone who's watching, this is what this is what it takes to be <laughs> like those teams um, like focusing on like when there's a when there's bidding going and it's fast and furious. It's hard. Like the fact that they were able to like give commentary for like most of that auction yeah, is incredible. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as much as we're praising the what what they did and, and, and how they were pulling off the live stream. um, I feel like we should maybe drill down into, into some of the results. We had, I had some opinions about how some of those teams did in that auction. I think in general, um, obviously those guys all knew baseball, fantasy baseball, the five by five format. If we haven't mentioned it already, it is a five by five league that they started. Um, but I think that any owner that's new to auto new that, that isn't used to sort of an auction keeper format um, and maybe isn't used to 40 man rosters and a $400 salary cap. There's a little bit of a learning curve as far as understanding the pricing levels. And I think that that was evident in some of the bids that, that while I was following along, um, there definitely seemed to be overspending early in the auction, um, that led to a lot of deflation according to my sheet. And then, um, you know, that, that corrected back the other way towards the middle and latter, latter half of the, uh, of the auction. But, um, I definitely thought that that that's pretty typical in my opinion of, of like a first year auto new auction. If you don't have owners that are all veterans, that you have a little bit of an inefficient market as far as pricing. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's, a catch 22 because I, I have dollar values that I release with the surplus calculator and those tend to match 
fairly well with pricing and auctions, but at the same time, how much of the bidding is driven by those values. So it's not as if they're really predicting anything as much as they're um, sort of in informing the bids that people are making in the first place. So uh, they did, it, it was pretty fun to, to hear different moments in the stream. There right. were guys on Slack that kept pinging me every time they mentioned the circle surplus calculator, because I think it yeah, was, man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and you could tell that, that one of the presenters that was streaming had, had mentioned it. And, and he said that he was using it as sort of a piece of his values that he was looking at the fan graphs auction calculator. He was looking at the surplus calculator, um, and then obviously doing some portion of his own value adjustments as well. But um, like I said, it, you could definitely tell that it was a little bit of a wild, wild west in the very beginning, at least according to, to the values that I have for for new 5x5. And I think the other effect you get is if you're not used to having, you know, a lot of standard Roto auctions are $260. And then now you have $400 and it's like, you, you've got all you've yeah. got all this money to spend. You're you're you you're a kid who's handed twenty dollars and told to go um, go buy as much candy as you want. You know you're you're just gonna start. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like the first hour um, of that auction was just really crazy. It was a lot of people um, sort of being like, "Well, I have four hundred bucks," and like literally, I have four hundred bucks, and not thinking that like the game requires having a a deep lineup having um trade assets for a mid-season push if you need to and really that like um the amount of players that are one dollar players is is fewer than you'd expect i guess so a lot of people really threw a lot of money in early thinking that down the line they have major league baseball starters for 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 a buck or whatever and it doesn't really work that way uh, unless you want some really lousy major league baseball players, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I actually think a lot of auctions go that way. It's not just first year auctions where you start off at the beginning and in first year auctions, you get a lot of like, Oh, I've got all this money. I'm going to spend it. And in, in future auctions, you get a lot of like, I just need this one piece to put my team over the top. And so I'm going to spend whatever it takes to get there. Uh, and so you end up in almost every auction I've been in auto new over the years, you go through this period at the beginning where, people are just free with their money and it's it takes a lot of patience to to wait through that um, but i've also learned over the years that if you wait too long uh you end up with the scraps which isn't a good place to be either and so you end up in this weird spot when you're when you're in one of those auctions where everybody's overspending the prices seem crazy you don't want to spend it but you also need a certain number of star players if you're going to compete and, right you just need you just need the production really. right and i absolutely agree with that i think the other uh unique aspect of Autonew is unlike a lot of other auction formats if you don't spend all of your available money it's not like it's just gone um in a lot of formats if you don't spend your 260 or 400 or whatever at auction there's no value in that like it's just gone you just the opportunity cost is you just missed out on spending that money. But at least in Autonew, if, if like Chad was saying, if you do sort of wait too long and then you end up with a lot of mid-tier guys and you find that you're not even spending everything that you that you should have, um, at least you do then have some flexibility in season um, to to have extra cap space, extra free salary to, to, to make those in-season pickups, especially early in the year when a lot of the pop-up guys show up. Um, and there were definitely a few teams there that, I mean, it looks like 
looking at the sheet right now, there were there were three teams that had thirty plus dollars available, and then there's three teams that had absolutely have zero dollars available because they spent exactly four hundred dollars. So um, it's not the end of the world. That's the one nice thing about Auto News right. you're not completely uh, throwing that money away if you don't spend it. Uh, during your auction. It, it is something that you're sort of rolling into. It's not technically fab, but it sort of becomes um, seed money for future acquisitions during the season. So, and, and flexibility in trade too. You know, you can take on certain contracts and maybe you don't need to require a loan necessarily. And that gives you more flexibility in, in trading as well. So, so Chad, let me ask you a question real quick. You, you've looked a little bit at this pitcher list auction. What, did you think were um, some of the better picks? Uh, and now I'm full disclosure. I have an auction with you in four days and I'm not trying to get any notes because I think you know pretty openly what I'm looking for in this auction. Uh, but that aside, I'm not I'm trying to put it aside from trying to read, read a player across the table from me. What, what did you think were some of the good uh some of the good bids that were, or some of the good values that were pulled, I guess it was sort of like towards the end of the first day, beginning of the second day in that auction, if you, if you have any. So, I, yeah, I don't have a good sense of what was, uh, I didn't watch it live, so I don't have a good sense of like what was which day, but I think one of the things that I found interesting is um, I think they struggled with reliever prices, yeah. um, which I, I it's, it's hard to blame them. I mean, in five by five and auto new, you've got a forty man roster. You've got five relief pitcher spots. You got four hundred dollars to spend, and buying five closers is overkill. There aren't sixty closers to go around, uh, but it's really hard to know what to do. And so you look at a guy like um, Brandon Workman, who who seems like he's lined up to be the the closer in in Boston. If I look at surplus calculator he's got like a 14 dollar valuation or something like that he went for six bucks like uh joe menez from the the tigers also in sort of that same range a 13 dollar valuation went for four dollars so um, what do you think the mistake that, or would you call it a mistake or what do you think like the overall um mindset was that resulted in those values you know, I, I think people just don't know what to do with relief pitchers. They aren't sure how to value saves in a league where you have so many relievers, right? Because I think in, you think about your your, your non auto new typical league where you've got either um, you know three starters, two relievers, and then three pitchers at random, or you've got three relief spots or something like that. Uh, and and people have a sense like so especially the guys at you know a place like Pitcher List where they've been playing for years they know the space they have a sense of what a reliever's worth what a closer's worth um, I think they just really struggled to understand the impact it can have if you can buy like I, I played in a five by five league for new for six seven years something like that and one of the things I I quickly learned is that buying like three closers and then being able to find one or two during the season when they pop up, finding one or two guys who are going to step in and get a few saves here or there cheap can really make a big difference. And I just think they, they, I think they just underpaid for relievers in general. When I look at like, even the guys they spent on, like they're expensive relievers. Edwin Diaz at uh-huh. $15 is still almost $4 below his surplus calculator value. Brad hand at wow. $13 should have probably been at least 17. Um, they only had, and then it, like, 
they only had a few other guys even up at the $10 plus range. Liam Hendricks, who probably could have been a $20 guy, went for 10 Kenley Jansen at $11. Like, he's going to rack up saves, even if he's even if he's still not fully right. Even if he's right, even if he's Kenley, broken Kenley Jansen, right. he's still going to get... The Dodgers are going to win 140 saves. games, and so he's going to save <laughs> right. a decent chunk of them. Um, yeah. And so right. I think they were just sort of... I just don't think they understood how to value those relief pitchers. And I think they got a little gun shy. And as a result, I think saves were cheap. And this brings up sort of an Um, interesting um, conversation topic, I think is you run into this a lot in, in all auctions, but especially in Audinu where, you know, given what we know now about this auction, that, that saves and relievers, did seem to be going at a discount because I see the exact same thing, obviously. Um, does that affect the price you're willing to pay for a reliever? Like, like maybe, maybe you've, you've sort of figured that out in, by a third of the way through the auction and you can see that relievers are going at discounts, but everybody else is going at, at the price you expected or maybe above that. Um, does that adjust the price you're willing to pay? Are you now looking for $3 discounts instead of $1 discounts or, um, or, or do you just say the course and you continue to buy, you think those guys are, have that value. So you're fine spending to get five closers, five of the top 15 closers, because you still think that they're, they're under underpriced. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I think for me, I would, I, I would probably still spend on relievers. I don't know if I'd go to five. I just don't know that you need five closers to, to win saves. I think, you know, Paying for five of the top 15 relievers in a five-by-five league, and this is one of the big differences between any Roto League and, and a points league, is you go overkill in one category, you're wasting your money. Um, in points leagues, there's there's no such thing as going overkill in a category. Um, you, there's no categories, right? So you can spend as much as you want. On, right. If you get every top home run hitter and they score a lot of points for you, you're going to win, and that's great. Whereas in, in a Roto League, if you get every top home run hitter, and you have no speed and no saves and no wins and like you're, you're screwed. And I, I think you where, where it creates an interesting strategic balance is you have to figure out how many relievers do I need before it's just too many relievers. Um, and that the value is actually the value might be good on reliever number seven because they're still going cheap. But what are you going to do with your seventh reliever? I also think like when when you're talking about adjusting on the fly that's that auto new auctions the live auction is just a really challenging place to be able to do that i think there are people who can do that and i think uh you know that's that's obviously very impressive and uh skillful but i think the pace of it is such that uh it sort of comes on you all at once right like 15 seconds bid 15 seconds and then you have 30 seconds to nominate did you recognize the pattern that is happening here of what Chad mentioned of every reliever being five to $10 underpriced? Like, um, yeah, maybe, you know, and maybe with some of the tooling people are building and, um, as people get more comfortable with the game, like maybe you can figure that stuff out, but every league has its own dynamics and it's, it's hard to see that stuff as it's going. And then, you know, you can always get trapped into a, into a bidding war on the one guy that one other person recognizes, you know? So I think that, um, when we're talking about, um, adjusting on the fly, uh, it, it, it's a real, 
real hard thing. It, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a real tall ask. It's not, it's not a cheap thing to ask for to be like, well, you know, just adjust, be flexible. Like everyone wants to be flexible, but um, recognizing that pattern that Chad mentioned is way easier to see on the surplus calculator now, um, two weeks after the auction is over or whatever. Yeah, I think that's uh, for I mean, sure that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I often struggle with recognizing the pattern or thinking I recognize the pattern, but by the time I recognize the pattern, it's either other people have recognized and it's shifted, or like you said, I find them like, oh, outfielders are going cheap. I didn't really need an outfielder, but I'm going to go in on this guy because outfielders are going cheap. And then that one doesn't go cheap. And then I find myself in a bidding war. I don't actually want to be in. And then all of a sudden you're, then all of a sudden you're in a bidding war. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, shoot, I can't walk away from this <laughs> cesspitous bid. And you're like, does this guy have a job? Like, what did I, what did I walk into here? I mean, look, man, uh, Chad, you've auctioned with me every time I've auctioned. You know very well that I am great at walking into that trap of like overpaying for the guy that, hey, uh, these outfielders have been going for cheap. Maybe I can sneak in uh, one of my flyers right here for three bucks. And one other person in the league had the exact same idea, right? All of a sudden, I have a $20 Will Myers, and I'm wondering what happened to my life, you know? Like, it's just uh, the, the way these things work, it's just so fast. So I understand that um, challenge of not recognizing, you know, like what you said. In, in retrospect, it seems uh, obvious. But also there is something to the idea that like in your first year auction, you don't necessarily recognize um, the strategy behind how valuable, um, what, what would it be like 160 saves would be towards winning that category without having to worry about it. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's definitely something that comes with, with experience and with familiarity, you know, when you're more comfortable with the, the format itself, the the mechanics of Autonew, the draft software. I mean, when I'm, I think every single one of those guys was brand new to Autonew. So, it, you know, they've got enough. Yeah, I mean, more power to and, them. And just, man. you know, managing and make sure they're comfortable with everything that's going on. And, and two of the owners are live streaming during the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I'm not suggesting that there's an expectation that they should have been more on top of those trends, but it's interesting to see them after the fact. And it's interesting to think about a hypothetical what what might have happened if, if if somebody had taken advantage of some of those those pricing discrepancies because that's really uh, that's right. how you win quotes around that you win an auction is is outmaneuvering your opponents and finding better prices for the guys you spend on versus what your opponents are spending on um, and it's easier said than done obviously um, but I think that you know having familiarity with the format having like i obviously when i'm drafting and i and i literally just finished a draft before we started this recording this podcast um i've got spreadsheets <laughs> open i'm tracking everything that's going on i'm looking at every single auction as it ends and, and noting that that guy was overpriced this guy was underpriced and i'm i'm paying attention to that level of detail but i also have I have tools at my disposal. I have. Right. You literally built the tools that help you track that in real time, right? Right. And I also have hundreds of hours of auto new options. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. So, I mean, I, I'm i more comfortable with what I'm doing because I have all that experience. And that definitely takes time and it takes 
um, the certain comfort level to know that I can still, and, and I still screwed up. I mean, the number of times that, that I'm looking over at the surplus calculator and I look back and I see an outfielder I desperately needed that I valued at $10 and he just ended at $3 and I go, oh my God, I missed it. You know, I just missed it. And that happens all the time. <laughs> um, you know, so- and- so let me ask you, Justin, like, uh, right. That, I mean, that stuff happens and we all know it happens. We've all been there. Um, when you're looking at the pitcher list stuff, like, what do you think their best, what were the best, what, what were the ones where you were like, I want to be in that league right now so I could get that value on that player right now? Uh, I, you know, and the relievers that the chat already mentioned are definitely uh, a part of that. But the, the other group that I saw a lot of was, it was very interesting to me was even guys like Byron Buxton or, um, uh, Starling Marte, you know, where those, those sort of outfielders were, were going at a discount as well. Now, again, those were, those were clearly in that middle tier and that's where those values started to show up. Um, I basically didn't like any of the, the, the first 30 or 40 guys that went off the board because I thought they were all too expensive. So at some point the worm turns and you reach an inflection point where all those overpays then become par value and then they become, bargains and i think the bargain was in was in that middle tier um byron buxton is is number one on my sheet for the most surplus in the league i valued at 21 dollars, and he was one at seven dollars um you know, Holy that, that's cow. a young outfield and that's the other thing that was was very interesting to me is that normally in these auctions in all all the experience that i've had and, and most of that is in fangrass points format um you see those younger guys go for way more than you expect. And, and, and it was weird because even the other big one that shocked me as it happened was um, Tatis Jr., where he went for, and, I, and I'm struggling to find it right now, but he went for a price that wasn't really much under what I thought he should have gone at, but it was well under what I expected him to go at um, because there's a lot of hype around him. And yeah, he went for $25. And I think I had him at 24 or 25 on, on five by five values. And I was very surprised that in a first year auction where people are really, they're, they're spending extra to acquire young talent with the idea that you're, you're, you're purchasing future value and not just present value. Um, and with all the hype that he had with, with his debut last year, I was very surprised to see that, that he went off the board at right about the same value I thought he should have gone for. Um, and again, like Byron Buxton, he, he at a discount. And I was very surprised by that as well. David Dahl is next on my list. Uh, I had him valued at eight, $18 in the outfield and he went for six. Um, Brian Reynolds from, from the pirates. I had him valued at 13. He went for three. So it was interesting that, that the guys that I see, normally the guys that I see go for a discount are like the old veterans, you know, nobody wants Joey Votto. Um, you know, nobody wants, Nelson Cruz because he's util and you're never, you never know when he's going to fall off a cliff because how old is he, you know? And, and, and you know that you, if you buy him in the first year auction, you may only have him on your team for one year or two years. Um, and, and teams typically will pay a premium for young talent, but it seemed like there were, there were plenty of young assets that were still going, not just at par, but at a discount. Um, and that was very interesting to me. I, I did not expect that. But again, I think that was more a mechanism of how much money I thought was being overspent at the very beginning. That at a certain point, the values have to come, right. and they were just coming everywhere in the middle and, and and end of that draft. Right. I mean, the first hour of that auction was just really crazy. So, um, right at some point, values have to show up, right? Yeah, because it's a zero. 
it's zero sum. You know, there's a certain amount of, in theory, there's a certain amount of value available in the in the entire auction pool, and there's a certain amount of money to spend. Um, so at, at some point, that overspending, the effects of that are going to be seen. Yeah, interestingly, as I look at it, the other thing that jumps out at me about the guys that are the highest in the surplus value is, uh, you know, your, your surplus calculator is based entirely on, it's all based on uh, the depth chart standings and fan graphs, which right now are just steamer. Um, and one of the things that jumps out at me about the guys at the top of this list is they seem like guys where a a savvy fantasy player may be more likely to question the the pure projection. Right? It's like Buxton's value in five by five. A lot of that's coming going to come from speed. A lot of that's going to assume health, and there are good reasons to look at that and say, is Buxton really going to be the guy that Steamer thinks he's going to be? Uh, Dolls had injury history uh john gray who's next on your list is always looks good in the projections but he's he's pitching at cores there's always issues there brian reynolds is pretty unproven um odor odor has his issues that are that are well documented um i just think like you have a you have a i'm going through this list at the top and these are all guys that um I would expect I would have expected there to be you know one or two owners and it, it only really takes two owners but I would have expected one or two owners to say like no this is the year this guy's going to put it together yes he's going to be healthy yes this projection is going to be accurate it's not even about going a breakout it's just meeting what's expected of them but they're all guys that I could easily see people being like yeah I mean I get why the projections are high on Jackie Bradley Jr. but like. Do I really think he's going to be a ten dollar player? I don't know. He hasn't really been in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I, those are all fair criticisms, and, and you're right. This is, I mean, we're we're talking about these values, and we're talking about them specifically through the lens of this is what projections are saying. Um, the 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 sheet that you're looking at right now probably does include um, zips and steamer, the the mixed depth okay. charts, because I did just update that recently. Um, so those values should be up to date with, with zips and steamer combined. Um, but, but the point is still the same that, um, in general, there are certain types of players that projections like, or don't like, and there are very rational reasons to, to be skeptical of, of those values and of those projections. So, um, and again, like for me, like, and if you look at the, the, the worst buys, they really are just everybody, either, either everybody that was bought early um, and there was also seemed to be some really significant um, capital being spent on on prospects. I mean, Wander Franco went for nineteen dollars, and he's he's the best prospect in baseball, and 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 he's and he's got a lot of value in a, in a five by five potentially. Um, but that's a significant amount of of your of your salary that you're spending on. Yeah, I mean, you're- I mean. You're also just eating up a bunch of his surplus, yeah. right? It's like the goal of the you're you're betting on upside, but in nineteen dollars, like what are what's the upside we're talking exactly. about, right? Exactly, I mean, and and go ahead, Chad. Sorry, I was, yeah, I was sorry. I was also going to say I think the other thing that that as I look at the most sort of expensive guys or the biggest overspends on here, a lot of those are values that again in a points league wouldn't necessarily look terrible. Um. A $43 Bregman is actually not a bad buy in a points league. Uh, Acuna, even at 60, I get it in a points league. $52 bets, $52 Soto. Like, those are not crazy spends in a points league. Um, 
And I wonder how much for some of the guys in the league who have played out a new before in points leagues and are used to out new values or who in doing their, their research and having their conversations about out new, we're talking to a lot of the points league players. We're, we're getting a sense of values that are, that are not aligned with, with what happens in a roto league and with how guys should be valued in a roto league. Cause it's not the same. I, I think that's a factor. I think the other issue is that if you, um, if you plug in the auto new uh, settings into the Fangraphs auction calculator uh, for five by five, I think you'll see prices that are that are very similar to what uh, these prices were. Right, you and, get a little bit of inflation with that tool right now. I think. And, and I and I think that that's just it's that's a one size fits all tool, and it's and it's fantastic, but it's it's really, it's trying to provide values for any kind of format with a bunch of different moving parts as far as lineup spots and, and, you know, total dollars available. And, you know, it doesn't, I, I, I don't think it necessarily captures some of the inc- intricacies with Audenew, um, especially in the points leagues, but also in the five by five and four by four. Um, one of the guys from pitcher list had, had text, uh, Twittered me, tweeted me, um, asking about four by four values on the surplus calculator compared to the the Fangraphs auction calculator values for that same format. Um, and and I had a little bit of a back and forth sort of explaining how I prep my values and how, how those values are generated versus what I think um, some of those differences are for the, for the Fangraphs auction calculator. And, I, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to be so confident as to say that the values that I have on the surplus calculator are right, that they're better than any other source like the Fangrass auction calculator or any other dollar value somebody generates. But I do think that in general, they do a pretty good job of matching what typical spending is in these leagues. Um, and I think that for me, the biggest thing with five by five, and, I, and you're right, Chad, I think the, at the top level, those prices wouldn't be insane in any other format, like a $61 for the most expensive player on the board. That's not that crazy. That's actually really reasonable in, in each of the other three formats. But the thing that makes five by five unique is that you you just don't have as much difference between a Mike Trout and your average outfielder because you're not the difference between his weighted on base and an average outfielder is huge. The difference between his five by five value and an average outfielder, not so much because you can have objectively poor hitting outfielders. They steal 25 bases and they've got five by five value. Um, you know, Billy Hamilton, he he. He was terrible in Fangraphs points. He, he should have been never owned in Fangraphs points, but he was going for $30, $40, in 5 by 5 maybe not 50 but you know, $30-plus in 5 by 5 leagues because of those steals. So the difference, the, the marginal difference between the best players in the points leagues and the average or replacement level players is just much greater. So the, the spread of prices should also be greater um, because there's a, a starker difference between a very good player and and a replacement level player in in those formats versus a five by five and to a lesser extent four by four but um, especially five by five there's just there's just not as wide a spread in in what those players contribute in the five by five categories yeah you end up with a big it, there's a really big shift in uh, replacement level because the number of players who provide some value just 
goes up by so much. And, and so you end up with a bunch of guys like a Billy Hamilton who have, who have zero value in one format, but have real value in another. Uh, and, and that it's, so it's, you get this, like, not only is the difference between Trout as an overall player, the way it's calculated in points so much greater than the difference between than than it is, uh, from an average outfielder, not only is that gap much bigger than it is in his five by five stats, but you've got so many more guys that you can go out and get. And you have so many other options for how you're going to create value. Um, and it's one of the reasons to be perfectly honest that I tend to prefer Roto leagues is because I think that there, it, it does enable a little bit more, I don't know if strategy is the right word, but there, there's more options that you can do different things and, and you're not sort of, I, I feel very tied to one approach when I'm in points leagues. Um, and this, it shows up in those values. Yeah. And I think that's, that's absolutely a fair, um, a fair argument to be made. And, and there's, and there's something to be said for, and we kind of alluded to it already with the, with the closer values and, and not, continuing to spend and getting five of them is it's so much more important in roto leagues your roster construction beyond just how many you have at every position but also are you getting the right combination of of performance for each of the categories that you happen to have whether it's a four by four or five by five as you said if you you get to a certain point and those those incremental gains and stolen bases or saves they just they're not valuable to you at all um, so you can go too far and you, you have to be mindful of that. So it does add another layer of strategy at auction and, and in trade negotiations to, to see what do I have? How can I improve? Um, and what's the best avenue to gain roto points? Um, and, and you're right. You don't really have that layer of strategy when it comes to points, points are points, and you just need more of them. <laughs> you know, you're just, you're greedy. You want more points. That's all you care about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think one of the best examples of that in in the five by five league I was playing in, there was a year where I traded away. I think I'm trying to remember if this is accurate. I think there was a year in which I traded away Billy Hamilton in the midst of a season in which I was uh, doing quite well um, because I was doing so well in stolen bases because of other players I had that Billy Hamilton just had no value for me. Um, and so in in points leagues, you would never do that. You would never take a guy who is highly valuable and trade him away when you're in the midst of trying to win a league right. um, because you need him. But in a, in a Roto league, that guy being valuable may not actually matter to you in that moment for that team because of why, because of what makes him valuable. Yeah. And that, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, you know, it's, it's, and that's, that's part of that extra layer of, of strategy that, that does exist. I'll, I will concede that even though I am tr- <laughs> Even Thank though you, I have traditionally finally. been critical of of five by five as a format, but you know, and I and I don't besmirch anybody for for finding that to be a more interesting way um, to play. I mean, well, I think I think you guys touched on it. Like there there are uh, really interesting things about roto, and I think maybe just leave it at that. Like there are um, aspects of of the roto scoring four by four or five by five. That aren't simply um, as they're, they're not simply we're looking at stats that that Major League Baseball have moved past, right? Like stealing bases, saves, but it's what Chad said. There gives you 
a more uh, more options on how, on paths towards finishing well in your league, towards winning your league. It gives you more um, paths forward, right? And it gives you more ways of looking at it. It comes back to the analogy you said earlier. Like at some point, like you want as many home runs as you can get in points, and there's diminishing returns on home runs uh, in roto leagues, and and when you're able to think about it that way, like I don't know, I think there's a lot of value in in playing a game that doesn't have such a linear focus on a single number, right? When you're able to when you're able to really think holistically about your team and how you have to produce writ large in order to be a winning team. I think that's, that's as much team building as anything, right? Pure production um, isn't how actual baseball works. Like were it to be so right. Is it not how actual baseball works? I think it's one of the things I, I struggle with a lot is that while I find the strategy of Roto leagues more interesting, the reality is a major league team could say, I don't care if my pitching's terrible. I'm just going to get better and better and better hitting. And if I win every game 15 to 14, I'm still going to win every game 15 to 14. Well, that's, that's certainly true, but, like, no baseball teams have done that, right? I mean, like, that isn't a baseball team that exists. Well, it exists, but it lost a bunch of uh, playoff games that we went to in Cleveland. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I agree with you, um, but I think um, – I don't want to say conventional wisdom because I don't think it's conventional wisdom. I think it's just truly the nature of the sport of baseball. It requires you to be good at multiple things in order to be a successful baseball team. And when we look at the teams that win world series, like these teams are good at multiple facets of the game, right? They're not necessarily um, focused on stealing bases in recent memory, but they all have good bullpens. They all have good enough starting pitching to get you through a playoff series. They all have good hitting, right? They're not, they're not teams anymore that are single dimensional. And when you play a points league, um, a season long points league, and you're in a very specific kind of league dynamic, I will have to grant you that. Like it's not every league that's like this, Um, but you can be really single dimensional and get really far in points leagues, right? You can really stack up uh, quality pitchers. You can stack up home run hitters and ignore the other side of the ball. But um, in real baseball, you can't do that. Um, and be uh, a World Series winner or a, a really <laughs> successful team. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I think that. I mean, Chad, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you to pull me out. Like, well, here's a baseball reference page that proves <laughs> no, exactly I... that you can be exactly this team. I don't think that. I mean, I don't know, man. That in, and we watched a bunch of these Cleveland Indian teams in the late '90s that um, focused on hitting, and um, and you know had all-time great hitters, and the pitching was suspect and it caught it catches up to you in high leverage situations i guess right and maybe that's the structure of of the playoffs and whatever but um to win a world series you have to be a balanced team i think i think there's a a type of balance you have to have in that i don't think you can i think i think it is it was it was uh a little tongue in cheek for me to say oh we'll win all of our games 15 14 like that that you're right it doesn't happen um, however, I do think a major league team could say, we are, we are not going to care about having a balanced lineup. We're just going to go out and get every, you know, decent on base power hitting guy we can get. I don't care if they all strike out. I don't care if, 
none of them can run the bases. I don't care if any of them can field. And if you do that and you couple it with good pitching, particularly a good bullpen, I think you could win a World Series with that team. Well, that's a very interesting that's a very interesting posit there because I think well, I guess, you know, the counterpoint to that is something that Otto knew uh, I wouldn't necessarily endorse as being like the way to go, but the high leverage of a playoff series really um, hurts teams the, that are built the way you described, right? Because um, you really do need the superstar or like the shutdown pitcher or whatever in the high leverage situations, right? I think that that's borne out to be true. Um, but that that high leverage situation is kind of an artificial construct in terms of like 162 game series or season. And then we have um, Clayton Kershaw coming in out of the bullpen in the, in the, in game five in the seventh inning, right? Like these are very different constructs. Um, and you'd like to have a different left-handed pitcher in that situation if you're the Dodgers or whatever. And, but you wouldn't in the whole, in the whole season. Um, but I think, the general point that I'm trying to make, and you know, I, I'm on this hill of, of Roto that I know Justin has heard way too much about. Um, but I think that uh, when you are building a, a Roto scoring team and you do know that there are limits to returns on certain stats, but you also know that you really can't punt more than one or two stats out of, out of the 10 or, really one stat out of the eight, like you really have to build an interesting baseball team in that you, that, that would not be required from you out of a points league. And also uh, Chad, I I really agree that um, the other thing is that you have many paths towards that interesting baseball team in a points league, especially in a points league that's full of sharks that are all on surplus calculator and all, um, really aware of, of valuation and, um, and, and the general projection, uh, of any player for a season. Um, you don't have those options when you're, especially when you're swimming with these guys who, who really understand like what your points per game or what your points per inning needs to be in order to be competitive and how difficult that is to get when everyone knows how difficult that is to get, then your options for building a team in a, in a season long points league become pretty limited, I think, or challenging at least. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it is more challenging. I think there's still avenues to have sort of creator, creative roster building and creative, um, you know, there just for a small segue, there's a concept that um, I've read a lot about for fantasy football, where they talk about rather than, value-based drafting has been the big thing, you know, that you, you calculate players projections and points above baseline and you, you calculate sort of everybody's value above certain baselines. And that's very similar to what I do for the points uh, league surplus calculator values, but um, that's value-based drafting. And then there's another concept, which is structural based drafting. And that's where something like zero RB comes in where, you know, their, their proponents is say that you don't draft a running back in the first four rounds and, and there's structural reasons to do that. Even if the projections justify that, that some running backs are worth drafting in those rounds, that you can be more efficient building a team. You have a, a higher upside potential and, and also a higher floor 
if you if you shoo going after those running backs early in the draft. And and it sort of flies in the face of that value-based drafting system. And I think that's another big avenue that I think, and that would apply to five by five as well, but in points leagues, you can be creative yes, maybe you're not being as creative or you don't have as much strategy as far as I need to get steals and I need to get saves, but um, maybe you, you, you do something like a modified Lima and you're not spending any money on pitchers and, and how is that going to work out? Or you don't draft a bullpen. And I mean, and, and, and again, right. you can have all those same strategies in the roto formats as well, but I think there's still plenty of, of unique strategies out there um, that I, I don't worry so much about, you know, my ability to, to exercise very interesting creative strategies as much as, you know, I, I know that I can do those things in any format and I can find other ways to gain, to gain an advantage. Um, you know, and, 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 and as part of this larger Roto conversation, the other thing I want to mention is I, I can concede all the points you guys are making about rotisserie, but I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to make that choice in Audinu, I think four by four is by far the better format because you're still playing in a rotisserie league. You still have all those those extra layers of strategy that you guys are talking about, but you now don't have stolen bases as a category. You don't have pitcher wins as a category. So it sort of has the the flavor of the linear weights points formats, but with the extra strategy of a rotisserie format this sort of gives you the best of both worlds, I feel like. And, you know, and obviously you guys tend to agree because the, the, the league one is a four by four league. That's the league that's been around the longest. And that's the, the format you guys settled on originally. Right. So yeah. I think if you're going to play Rota, and that's the one thing about this pitcher list league that if they were going to stick to a rotisserie format, I, I would have loved if they had gone to four by four instead of five by five. So you, you kind of get one foot, one foot in the door where you're, you're still playing rotisserie, which is probably what they're mostly used to, but then you get a little bit of that introduction to a, a, a more saber metric oriented fantasy format, which I think is one of the big appeals of auto is that it, there's a lot more saber metric value and influence in the game. Um, than your traditional five by five on Yahoo or whatever, you know, it's, and, and then the, and the strategy for those leagues is, I mean, it's predominant, right? I mean, that's that's what everybody writes about. That's what everybody talks about. That was sort of the exciting part about starting new for myself was I have a whole new format that I need to figure out. And it's daunting, but it's also kind of exciting. To... Yeah, and it's a format that aligns with winning Major League Baseball games, right? It's a format that's um, not steeped in the traditionalism of, of Roto that you know, the original five by five is just uh, convenient box score stats, right? It's not necessarily uh, speaking to what we now know about what it takes to win actual baseball games. Right. And, and I think I mean, my understanding is, is those original categories were, were chosen because they were the 10 categories of statistics that they had available at the time that correlated the highest to team winning percentage. You know, so that was their attempt to say, if we're going to pick t- five hitting categories and five pitching categories, let's find the ones that are that are most correlated with team performance, which is a great idea in theory. But when pitcher wins becomes one of those categories, well, of course, that's more co- correlated with with uh, team wins. They're, they're basically, you know, they're one's a function of the other. One, right. I mean, they're, right. They're not. There's no causation. And, and, there. and I think the scary. one the one right. the other concession that I'll make about five by five is as much as stolen bases as a category kind of sucks from a sabermetric point of view, 
the one nice thing about that is it does tend to serve as a proxy for defense. Um, you know, before Fran Francisco Lindor became Francisco Lindor, it was thought that he might be a light hitting, super, def you know, defensive shortstop, super, super strong defensive shortstop. And his ability to steal 15 or 20 bases while playing great defense, those stolen bases would serve sort of as, as a, as a proxy for defensive acumen. And it's not perfect. Obviously there are plenty of guys that steal bases. They also can't field, but in general, um, the, the, guys tend to be the, the, the better defenders as well. Right. Guy, like there are guys who get to play 150 baseball games every year on the backs of their speed and defensive acumen. Right. And those players deserve a place in fantasy sports or fantasy baseball. And I think um, five by five gives you those players in a way that no other format does though. Obviously Justin, like if you're coming to me and Chad and saying, Hey, four by four is really good. Like preaching to exactly the choir, right? Like, um, I mean, that's, that's where we started with this whole thing. So yeah, you, you obviously super agree. Four by four is a very good format. All right. Well, I, I, at this point, we've been rambling for, for over an hour and it's very late here on the East coast. So, um, I think we, we should wrap up this episode before it becomes a two hour behemoth. Um, this is definitely something we're going to be doing, uh, again and more often. Um, Chad and, and Niv and myself are all going to be in DC this weekend. Uh, there's an auto new meetup, um, for anybody listening to this that happens to be in the area, um, stop on by, you can see the, the details on, uh, the community site or check the, the, the auto new, uh, Twitter accounts. You can find that information. Um, I want to thank everybody that, that stuck with us and listened to this. And, um, thank you, Niv. Thank you, Chad, for, for getting on late at night tonight on a, on a what's tonight. I don't even know what day it is. Well, technically it's Wednesday right now, but it's Tuesday night. Um, so thanks guys for, for, for stopping in and chatting with me and, uh, we'll definitely do this again soon. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having us. And, Thanks for doing it late your time because it might be Wednesday for you, but it's only 9 p.m. for me. So I, I appreciate you letting me get my kids to bed before we jumped on. We, we might have been cursing the West Coaster a little bit before we started. I, I won't lie. Oh, only, I just, only I deserve a tiny it. bit. Yeah, Justin, yeah. thanks so much, man. <laughs> thanks so much, Justin. Um, yeah, looking right. forward to seeing you guys this week. Thanks weekend. for listening, everybody. Autobots. Roll out!